0: You're listening to ayahuascapodcast.com. Hi, guys. In this episode of ayahuascapodcast.com, we talk to Danielle Nova. We talk about addiction recovery, how she overcame her own addiction. We talk about how ayahuasca helped her. We talk about the drawbacks of uh, 12-step programs and how beliefs can affect your addiction process. We talk about microdosing versus normal dosing and so, so much more. You will uh, absolutely enjoy this episode. Hi, guys, and welcome to ayahuascapodcast.com. As always with you, the host Sam Believ. Today, we're interviewing Danielle Nova. She is executive director of San Francisco Psychedelic Society. She is a founder of Psychedelic Recovery, co-founder of Metamorphosis Medicines. She's a transformational guide, and she counsels people through addiction recovery and psychedelic integration. Danielle, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Sam. I'm honored to be here. Really appreciate the invite.
0: Uh, Danielle. The topic for today, of course, will be the addiction recovery and uh, the role psychedelics play in it. But before we talk about the topic in general, I think it would make sense to start with yourself a bit about your story, your own story of recovery and the role that psychedelics and ayahuasca played in it.
1: Amazing. Yeah. So I, where do I begin I spent most of my upbringing, ever since I was 11 years old, running away from myself, running away from my life, running away from my emotions. That developed into drug addiction in my early teenage years. It started with cannabis and alcohol, and that led to cocaine and methamphetamine and opioids and I was actually quite the psychedelic advocate in high school. I was using MDMA and really big in the rave scene, taking mushrooms and trying to get other people around me to get interested in psychedelics. Um, During that time, I experienced several friends who took their own lives in high school, which created a spiritual awakening for me. I started viewing life differently and questioning the nature of reality and feeling quite separate from my peers to have that experience at such a young age and uh, trying to understand what is life, what is death, why are we here, and that the the experiences that I had with um, the anxiety and depression led me to outsourcing my power, and uh, my parents sent me to a psychiatrist, and I went on psychological pharmaceutical drugs uh, at 16 years old. And by the time I was graduating high school, I was on like five or six different medications for anxiety, depression, PTSD. And um, I spent most of the rest of 12 years dependent on psychiatric drugs, prescribed hundreds of psychiatric drugs in and out of eight different rehabs. I got very addicted to opioids. I was addicted to Oxycontin for six years and then Suboxone. I dabbled in heroin and really, really suffered. I was basically a complete slave to addiction for 15 years. And um, yeah, finally woke up one day and realized that all these drugs that I was taking to help myself were actually hurting me. And I wanted to see what life was like off of all these medications. And I started healing myself
0: so first of all congratulations and i'm really happy for you and i'm happy you you know beat your addiction you, you obviously look great and you do great stuff with your life um what was your process of recovery and um what role psychedelics played in it
1: it was a long process of suffering <laughs> and um once I decided to come off of the medications, I really didn't have a lot of support. My family did not want me to come off of medications. They were scared for me. The doctor had no idea how to get someone off of medications either. I was the first, I was the first patient to ever come off of any of these medications. And so I slowly started to titrate off of, I was on five medications at that time. I slowly started to titrate off of them it took me years and i ended up having to cold turkey two of them which is extremely dangerous especially with benzodiazepines you can die from that and that caused something called protracted withdrawal syndrome where i was basically withdrawing from drugs for acutely for over 18 months i lost my ability to talk walk function i i couldn't speak i couldn't take care of myself i couldn't do basic things like my laundry or make food for myself. I was completely debilitated. And around nine months in, a friend invited me into an ayahuasca ceremony. I was suicidally depressed. like I almost died from coming off of all these medications. I was having, I had a seizure. And I just said, I have nothing to lose. Let's see if this helps me. And after that first ceremony with ayahuasca, it created more withdrawal for me in the ceremony itself. It was kind of like turning the knob up on the the radio dial uh, in terms of the intensity of the withdrawal process, but it expedited my healing process for me. And after that first ceremony, I felt like faith that I could heal myself and that I was going to get better. And Ayahuasca said, I'm going to show you a new way. And I felt, better after that first ceremony. It didn't heal me. You know, I'm such an advocate for saying, for teaching people that it's just not one experience, right? It's a process of change and transformation. But that that first night really showed me that I, I can do this and I can live life free from addiction. And so I started working with ayahuasca every month uh, for over a year. And uh, it It completely transformed my life. It brought, she brought me back to my purpose on this planet, why I'm here. She helped me heal my withdrawal syndrome that I was dealing with. Then I started working with microdosing of mushrooms that really helped me get out of the house. I was um, quite agoraphobic at the time. It was hard for me to even leave the house and mushrooms started to, you know, bring me out of my comfort zone and help me heal my brain. And, uh, I worked with iboga at one point, um, which was very detoxifying, just like the ayahuasca, lots of purging, you know, I had, I was toxic taking hundreds of medications, millions of pills that made my body extremely toxic. And I had a lot to let go of and a lot of belief systems and suffering to let go of. Um, it was very powerful and transformative for me, not just you know, definitely on a spiritual level, but also a physiological level. And that's what I feel so excited about. Ayahuasca has the potential to physiologically help people heal withdrawals from getting off of these medications, because there's millions of people on medications. You know, my story is not unique. I'm unique in the fact that I was able to get off of them and use psychedelics to support that process.
0: Well, once again, congratulations and being strong enough to sort of just plow through for nine months by yourself without even help of ayahuasca is very impressive. And, um, yeah, with ayahuasca it's, it is like that when there is some kind of pain before it gets better, it gets worse. So I can imagine how it just brought it all up and, uh, and made it even, even stronger. Um, you described that, um, d- detoxing or sort of getting off the, 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 medical. So first of all, you said, uh, that, um, You've been prescribed everything that there was and nothing was helping. Um, and then uh, they, they told you to, uh, to smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah. I tried every medication possible. I was prescribed. I tried so many different antidepressants. I've tried every anti-anxiety medication Um, So many mood stabilizing medications was on Adderall was on uh, sleeping medications put on. I remember when I tried to get off, when I came off of the opioids, my addiction to Oxycontin, I was put on 15 medications just to get off of the opioids, you know, for restless leg syndrome and all these, all these ways that they do medication assisted detoxes basically. And um, I remember suffering so much with my mental health, and I could hardly function. And I was went to my psychiatrist, and I asked him, um, you know, do you have any other medications that I can try? These aren't working. And he said, Well, no, I've, I've prescribed you all the medications, like I don't have any, any other medications, why don't you smoke more cigarettes, or drink more coffee. And at that point, it was really a spiritual message that this person can't help me and that the medications can't help me. And maybe it's not the medications that I need to feel better. Maybe it's coming off of them. Um, and so that was a big turning point in my recovery journey to lose complete faith in the pharmaceutical paradigm that I was subscribing to and, and take my power back.
0: It's interesting that, um, i don't I don't really know exactly what what were the symptoms, but uh you described uh being very spiritual when you were younger, and a lot of times uh spirituality is confused with mental disease like if somebody says you know they see stuff or feel stuff, even if it's true, nobody cares they they just think maybe you're schizophrenic or something like that have you Have you experienced that sort of was that the part of the issue
1: yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, I I really identify with being an indigo child or an indigo adult. And the indigo paradigm is that we're highly sensitive, highly spiritual, very intuitive, we feel a lot. And oftentimes, that's a theme. And with people that have gone through addiction is that they feel a lot, and they're very sensitive. And We have all been raised in a society that doesn't support feeling, you know, it's a society that the current predominant paradigm is to suppress your feelings, or if that you feel a lot, it's too much because we weren't raised to process our emotions. I know that my parents never taught me how to sit with my emotions and process my emotions. I was always too sensitive or or too much. And my grandparents certainly don't even know what it means to process emotions. I've asked my grandmother and that's just, you know, how it's been passed down. And so we're really the first generation to acknowledge that we have feelings and to learn how to feel safe in processing them. And so that was the fact that I was feeling so much and so awakened to in the world was looked at as. You're, you, there's something wrong with you and you need to be controlled and medicated because they didn't know how to handle me, basically. And um, now I understand what it is. But back then, I really internalized it as there was something wrong with me and believed in all these mental illness labels that they have to give you in order to prescribe you medications. And it's, it's completely false, you know, from my experience. And other people might identify with you know, having anxiety and depression and bipolar and whatever these labels that they want to subscribe to. But um, at the core of it, I really think it's a highly intuitive, highly sensitive being that also has underlying trauma and that trauma can manifest in mood dysregulation and risky behavior or addictive behavior because it's an attempt to solve the underlying issue. It's an attempt to solve the problem.
0: Well, I can imagine if you're a sensitive uh, child and you live in a world where there's a lot of pain around, then, then obviously your experience is not going to be the most blissful. And then, and then uh, if you see it as a disease, then you're going to start taking medications and nothing is going to help. Uh, you mentioned uh, the labels and um, can you talk a little bit about the role those belief systems play in, in, in addiction?
1: Absolutely. I'm really passionate about this because the, I came from a framework, especially going to all these rehabs and treatment centers where you have to admit that you're an addict. I remember the first rehab I went to, they had me take a test and the test came out that I was a, a, a cocaine addict and I wasn't a cocaine addict at that time, but I started believing it. And really identifying with, oh, I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life. And I remember getting, making new friends in the 12-step program and being like congratulated for claiming that identity. The two words, I am, as you know, are the most powerful statements possible because we continue to program our consciousness to believe these things about ourselves. So for so long, I believed that I am an addict and I was told I was going to be an addict for the rest of my life. And I believed that I had all, I had this disease of addiction and that it was something that was going to be with me for the rest of my life. Now I understand that that's not true and that my identity is not an addict. I don't believe that I'm an addict. I don't believe that I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life. I don't believe that I am what happened to me. And I think that's something that can happen is so much of our identity gets wrapped around in the trauma that we've been through or the amount of clean or recovery time that we have, but we are so much more than that. And that's what psychedelics can really teach us is that process of unlearning, you know, and coming home to the soul as, as as we know with ayahuasca, it's such an ego dissolved medicine. You know, she doesn't care about identities that give ourselves. She teaches us to come home, the vine of the soul, to come home to the soul of who we are at the soul level beyond all these identities is really the suffering is in the identities. And I feel so passionate about teaching people that they, even though they might be identifying with some identity right now, it's not fixed. The identities can change, can change and, um, you know potentially the identities and the labels that we give ourselves are actually keeping us in the paradigm of sick consciousness that we don't want to be for ourselves anymore and that we can liberate ourselves. And a lot of that liberation comes from the identity that we attach ourselves to.
0: That's, uh, those are all very great words. Um, uh, I totally agree. So you overcame your own addiction and now I know you're helping others uh, for those who are listening. Can you maybe outline, um, how the process looks like, how long does it take? What are, what are the steps and, uh, what is, how, how is your approach different? Cause I believe, uh, you work with the, what's called trauma informed approach.
1: That's right. Exactly. Well, I'm currently yeah. developing the framework clients and I went through this process and I wish I could say exactly how long it's going to take or what it's going to be like for each person as it's so personalized as you know everyone's coming to this with different background um, but and and different addictions you know sometimes it's substance addiction, sometimes it's street substance addiction to street drugs or substance addiction to medications or even addictions to behaviors. But the most important starting step is someone that wants to change and that the desire for change is more powerful than any psychedelic medicine themselves and maybe some people aren't ready i know i wasn't for a long time and it took me a while to get ready i wasn't done i had more learning to do with addiction and i am curious about psychedelics potentially helping people become more ready it could encourage people in that process of change so you know, there's different levels in which we might introduce the psychedelic medicines, but mostly I would say having that desire for change is the number one starting step. You might not know what's causing your addiction, um, but uh, it's important to have that desire that you're willing to do whatever it takes to heal. Then the next step would be to set up a support system, to have people around you that are really going to support you in this process. That's super important. Whether it's a community, we have our psychedelic recovery community, your your family support, um, you know, working with a practitioner, a coach, a guide, having some type of support system is really important. And then committing to a program or process. And I encourage people to commit to either a month or a year, you know, of saying, okay, I'm going to see what this is like and give myself a year to transform. And because it's not, it's not an overnight process. It wasn't that for me. It was months and years of suffering and healing, really, that got me to where I am now. And I'm still healing. It's a process that takes time, but having that commitment is super important. And then taking a look at your life and getting really real and saying, what is not working? you know, like I can't do that for someone. It has to come from that person from within. And for me, it was, I am a slave to addiction. These medications are not working for me. And I had to set up a plan and a process to get off of them. So, um, you know, depending on what substance or behavior someone's doing, there's different approaches to addiction recovery. For some people, it might be a slow titration process. And medication important that people titrate slowly. It's a substance addiction. Maybe someone wants to slowly come off of heroin. Maybe someone just needs to interrupt that process, you know, very abruptly. I don't know what's going to be, you know, people might have to try different approaches, but make sure that the approach in which you're trying is appropriate for the substance that you're taking. And especially if you're getting off medications, you need to have the support of a doctor to help you come off of them. And one that's going to support you in doing that. And, uh, you know, for certain, for certain addictions, psychedelics are only appropriate after you've been off of the substance for a certain amount of time. So it's important to understand, you know, any type of contraindications that might be at play. And facing your shadows, commit to the darkness. Unless we move through the darkness, we're going to be forever enslaved by it. And so much, you know, for me, addiction wasn't just around removing the substance addiction. Cause ultimately, what the research shows, it's not about the addict the substance being addictive. It's about the underlying issues that we're running away from. That and that's why we soothe ourselves with substances or behaviors. And so making sure that you're ready to start to face the things that you've been running away from. For me, it was underlying trauma. It was emotions, it was disconnection, self-sabotage from myself, that I have to face all of that in the recovery process. And I know that I can. I know that there's so much more freedom in facing that than running away from that. But people have to be ready for that. And it's probably going to be a process of unwinding and unlearning. But give yourself at least, I think, a year to really commit to that process. And there's so many more nuances within within this framework, but, you know, a lot of it is around once you start your healing process, especially with psychedelics, identifying the beliefs that you have around yourself, you know, and the relationship that you have with yourself. For me, I recognize that I hated myself for so long. I did not love myself. And the process of healing addiction is falling back in love with yourself and giving to yourself the love and care that you desire that you were running away from. And for a lot of people going through addiction they feel a void and it's really the void of the divine it's the void of god it's the void of us you know we i believe we are a fractal of the divine and we're trying to fill that void with substances when really we're, it's us that we're seeking you know we are the ones we've been waiting for we are the love we've been seeking and healing addiction is about giving that to ourselves
0: yeah the healing uh, will always come from within um, it's you. You mentioned something um, about people who are quitting uh, substances and they want to start working with um, psychedelics. For example, if somebody is ready and they have been sober for a while, a lot of times people like this, whether it's alcohol or other substances, they they're very suspicious of psychedelics, regarding uh, seeing them as just some other drugs and then being worried about um, getting addicted to it. So. Uh, What would you tell someone who's afraid to be, to get addicted to ayahuasca, for example, and what is your language in sort of defining the difference between medicines and drugs?
1: I think, well, first of all, it's very common, especially in that people that have been previously addicted to substances to be concerned about that. And that shows a, a high level of care for your recovery journey. So I really honor that. And for me, I believe that and this is what I've been taught by the natives that any substance can be abused you know it's all about your relationship with it and your intentions behind it and for me I never ha- I had an irreverent re- Relationship with the medications I was taking. I didn't have any intention behind it. I wanted, it was giving my power away. I wanted them to fix me and heal me. You could still bring that energy to ayahuasca. You could still try to escape yourself with ayahuasca. The medicine will definitely probably won't let you do that. But it's so important to come to the medicine, a humble student, and with the intention that. I'm using this as a tool for metamorphosis. I'm using this as a tool for transformation. I'm using this as a tool to learn and teach and heal and to be in the right relationship with it, to not come to the psychedelics to abuse them or escape yourself with them or to become, you know, to create a habit around it, but to really use it as an opportunity to redefine your relationship with substances. And, um, And that takes a certain level of integrity in the addiction recovery process. Some people might not have that, you know, some people might start abusing psychedelics. I've seen it happen a lot. It is possible, you know, they're not immune from from being abused. So it's really important to. in right relationship with them and you know come with and making sure you're doing the integration work especially giving space after the ceremonies using them to heal and transform your life and not just you know going back into old patterns or behaviors or trying to give yourself excuses a lot of psychedelics are non-addictive in their signatures like ayahuasca psilocybin mushrooms amanita muscaria iboga They they tend to be more anti addictive, especially when it comes to the research studies around them, and they can even be interrupters for addiction, which is so exciting that they can literally interrupt that process of addiction. Uh, And I believe that a lot of that happens through these neural pathways like addiction is such a deeply ingrained neural pathway. You do something over and over again, you're going to become addicted to something right? It's like. The, the definition of a disease model is that it changes your brain and, um, you know, if you take a substance every single day, it's going to create a neural pathway. And what's so excited about psychedelics is that they can actually interrupt these neural pathways and you can create new ones and learn how to live free of substances, which is incredibly powerful for someone that has spent most of their life addicted to substances but it takes work and it takes intention and integrity you know and being really real with yourself around how you're you're using these substances
0: yeah well, very well explained um yeah regarding getting addicted to ayahuasca i can't really imagine somebody you know under the bridge in the in the streets of a big city drinking True. ayahuasca and, and like throwing up uh, I've uh, I've never heard about anyone getting addicted to ayahuasca. However, I've seen people that come to it over and over again and uh, get the same information, maybe get a temporary relief, but never really do the homework. And it's nice how self-guiding the medicines are. When, When you do that, you then notice that you come back to the medicine too quick and it tells you like, you haven't done the homework and it it gives you a terrible trip, you know, the sort of tough love. Have you noticed that uh, maybe in your own experience or?
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. No one's going to get addicted to ayahuasca, but they, you know, I've seen people that are habitually going to ceremony many times a month, but not doing any of the integration work and not really changing anything in their lives. And I think that's such an important uh, component, you know, to to the ayahuasca experience and from what the research shows around neuroplasticity and neurogenesis is that yes psychedelics like ayahuasca can open up these new neural pathways create new connections in the brain but neuroplasticity in and of itself is inherently neutral so it can be it can be negatively influenced or positively influenced like let's say after ceremony if i went immediately back to chain smoking cigarettes. And, you know, on my phone 24 hours a day, it's going to ingrain these neural pathways even deeper for us. And I remember one time in my recovery journey after doing ayahuasca, I did ketamine the next day. And I remember ayahuasca smacking me in the face. I literally felt like I got smacked in the face from that experience. She really gave me a rough time in my integration process. Like, what are you doing? You know, this is not this is not respecting the medicine and um you know we're dealing with as you know another consciousness like it's a spirit ayahuasca is a spirit we're welcoming in the spirit of ayahuasca this consciousness this plant consciousness into our body As um, Dennis McKenna says, he believes that the plants want to experience our consciousness just as much as we want to experience the consciousness of the plant. And so when we're inviting the the plant consciousness into us, it's going to keep working with us and communicating with us and sometimes punishing us, you know, so it's important that we respect the medicine, respect the teachings of it, especially in that integration process.
0: Beautiful. What you just said is exactly what I tell g- groups uh, before they go home. You know, what, what are you going to do with this uh, newly discovered flexibility? And if somebody goes back after the retreat in that open state and go visit a toxic relative or start watching news or s- scrolling through their phone, it, it, will, it will wreck you because this flexibility it can, can be used in the in in wrong way. And yeah, ayahuasca is a very strict, strict mother sometimes. And it's, um, it's a, it's beautiful, you know, uh, observing how, how it, how it works. Um, so we talk, you know, about uh, ayahuasca and taking big doses of, you know, normal doses of medicines. Uh, what about microdosing? I know you're a big uh, fan of microdosing.
1: I am. I'm such a big fan of microdosing. It has its role, you know, and I think it's a, A helpful maintenance tool, especially for people that are wanting that maintenance support. It can be, um, you know, traditionally a lot of people are microdosing with psilocybin, with LSD. Some people are microdosing with Amanita muscaria, ayahuasca, with the vine itself. Um, A lot of my experience has been with microdosing with psilocybin and LSD, and especially recovering my brain from being on all these medications, it really helped me get my brain back online and helped me, allowed me to think clearly, allowed me to be able to function. And um, you know, microdosing is a is a powerful tool for it can be a powerful tool for addiction interruption, for overall well being and balance. It's a non specific amplifier, so it's definitely going to amplify underlying uh, challenges that people might be experiencing or emotions and bring them to the surface to be healed. And it's a powerful tool and an ally that, you know, we like to say microdosing is like an electric bike. You still have to pedal and do the work, but the microdosing is gonna accelerate your process for you. And it's, yeah, I'm such a big advocate for microdosing. It's, It's such a powerful tool, especially a maintenance tool for people that are in addiction recovery.
0: That's a great analogy about the electric bike. I like that. I'm going to use it. Um, Excellent. Sometimes when people are, people are on antidepressants and they want to come to the retreat and they want to experience um, ayahuasca, obviously they need to get off the antidepressants first, which is which is very difficult to do by yourself, because you know you described it yourself how how strong the addiction to some of those antidepressants can be. So sometimes some of them use uh, microdosing. So as they sort of start to lower their dosage of antidepressants, they start to take the microdose and, and it can really help. Do you know anything about it? Uh, can you maybe uh, share a protocol or something? Like that? obviously not a medical advice.
1: And can you, a protocol around antidepressants?
0: Like uh, quitting antidepressants and maybe using microdosing to help.
1: It's a really great question. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in combining the withdrawal process with microdosing. Some people use microdosing to aid and support their withdrawal process from coming off of the, uh, a certain medication. I'm such an advocate for one thing at a time personally, because we just don't know what the interactions are when it comes to combining the two. Um, so, you know, it's really up to a person to figure out what works for them. Some people might find that microdosing mushrooms eases their withdrawal from coming off of antidepressants. Other people might feel like it makes the intensifies the withdrawal process. So it's really up to the individual to kind of figure that out for themselves. But, um, and oftentimes there might be some contraindications, right? So um, if someone's taking antidepressants and they're microdosing with psilocybin, they both work on the same receptors. And we don't know what the, there isn't research that's being done on the long-term implications of combining the two. So it is playing with fire. We just, we just don't know. Uh, But if people are finding relief, you know, it might be temporary relief to help ease their process from getting off of the pharmaceutical drugs. And I'm such an advocate for, you know, people being able to use microdosing, especially when they come off of the psychiatric drugs to help support their process and rebuilding their brains and, um, you know, helping their mood, especially from getting off of psychiatric drugs. It can be really difficult. The biggest thing that I want people to know is that coming off of psychiatric drugs is really difficult at the beginning for most people. It can make make your depression way worse. It can give you hundreds of withdrawal symptoms. And when I was going through that process, I thought that that was me. I remember going to my doctor and telling him these horrible withdrawal symptoms that I was experiencing, and he was saying, well, this is a sign that you need to be on medication. And that was just not true you know there was actually a huge withdrawal process so i really encourage people to educate themselves about the withdrawal process i have a training at the psychedelic society where i train you all about what can happen um, in the withdrawal process just to get you really informed the problem with these medications is that there's there isn't any informed consent when i came on these medications i was never told hey by the way you're going to get addicted to them and dependent on them, and it's going to be hell to get off of them. So, um, you know, there isn't that informed consent. And I want people to be informed of potential withdrawal symptoms that they might be experiencing when coming off of these psychiatric drugs so that they can know, oh, this is the drug. This is not me and to stay strong in that withdrawal process. You know, separate yourself from the withdrawal that just because you are you might be suffering coming off of the medication doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, doesn't mean that you necessarily need the medication. Um, and it's not right, it might not be right for every person right now. Um, you know, sometimes people come off medications and it's just too difficult for them to stay off of them. And that's okay, you know? Um, but give yourself space to, to recognize that it, it could be a, a time of, of difficulty. And for some people, it's not, you know, um, but go low, go slow, just like you would with psychedelic medicines. We always say with microdosing, go low and slow and um, and experiment with things, you know, and if if the microdosing does not bring relief as you come off of the psychiatric drugs, maybe that. Is not the right time. Maybe the time to start microdosing would be once you've completely come off of these psychiatric drugs and introduce the the microdosing. You know later down the line.
0: Well, uh, apart from microdosing, let's say somebody really feels like doing ayahuasca, and the only thing that's stopping them is the SSRI antidepressant. So, what um, routines or maybe. Uh, Behaviors or activities you could recommend to somebody to to ease that process.
1: So many things. The biggest is nature every day. Put your back up against trees. Lay on the grass. Like absorb the energy from nature. Really get reconnected with nature. There's a lot of different supplements that you can take. IV therapies, like IV nutrient therapy, really helped me as I came off of all these psychiatric drugs. Um, see a doctor, get some blood work. You know, oftentimes when you're taking a lot of medications, it can actually disrupt a lot of your blood work um, and cause a lot of s- symptoms. So, you know, you m- want to make sure that you might be deficient in some areas. I know I was super deficient. I was not taking care of myself when I was on all these drugs, I just let my health go. I, when I came off of the medications, I completely changed my diet. You know, having an anti-inflammatory diet is really helpful and supportive when coming off of medications, having community, you know, meeting friends, community, having support. We have psychedelic recovery groups multiple times a week. This is such a place to come to support yourself as you're coming off medications, speaking around. Your experience that you're going through with people that get it is so helpful. So you don't have to be alone going through this process. Breath work, yoga, moving your body, um, you know, listening to music, getting connected with your spirituality, with the sun, getting as much sun as you possibly can forest bathing uh, i did a lot of float tanks you know um, you know there's different biohacking t- tools that you can use peptides there's so many tools out there to support your process but i don't want to overwhelm someone too much you know a lot of this stuff can come after you've withdrawn off of these uh, medications but just you know really focusing on what your goals are who do you want to become it's getting staying really positive affirmations like i am healing myself I can do this. I have every confidence that I can do this developing a, a loving relationship with yourself is the most important medicine that you can possibly have as you go through this withdrawal process. Um, yeah. And changing that internal dialogue is really supportive and helpful when withdrawing.
0: Thank you. I think those are all great suggestions. So, and yeah, it's, uh, it's important to choose a few to begin with, because otherwise, if you fail at one, then you, you will kind of give up on, on all of them, uh, in your, in your work with, um, uh, uh, clients one-on-one and helping them, um, overcome their addiction. Can you maybe share a, and a story or some, some very impressive result and, and maybe what were the, the key ingredients in it?
1: Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite stories was an individual that had been on medications for most of their life ever since they were a child and also um, addicted to opioids. And when we started working together, they thought they were gonna be on medications for the rest of their life. And they, um, you know, we told that they had all these things wrong with them and they believed that there are all these things were wrong with them and they really didn't believe in themselves. And through our process of working together, they were able to come off of. All the medications that they were on safely under the, the care of a doctor, they were able to release their addiction to our dependency to uh, suboxone to opioids and they completely transformed themselves. And they were working with ayahuasca um, and really went through a transformational process. And I think one of the biggest elements of it is that they started believing in themselves, that they started believing that it was possible to heal themselves, that there wasn't anything wrong with themselves, that they weren't crazy, and that they could live a life free of addiction and free of dependency on these medications, which is incredibly powerful to finally experience life, what life is like um, off of these medications. And it was a very slow process and they were very committed to, to the work. And I think their connection with their spirituality helped them a lot. They became very spiritually connected and felt guided throughout this process. And having someone you know having me to support them in it someone that's been through that process and and can inform like this is very normal to feel this way you know you're not going to feel this way forever this is what you can do to support yourself and and transform was incredibly helpful and so they've yeah they've been free of medications for almost a year now and they're doing really well and they're back functioning and living their a new life they've completely transformed their life and i'm so proud of them they're They're so amazing. And um, it's been such an honor to support them in that process. And I tell them that this is they are my mission. You know, I want to help more people. I want to help anyone that is wanting to transform out of addiction, out of suffering and to help them get them to a place of liberation.
0: It's a great story. Thank you for for sharing it. Uh, You mentioned that um, getting connected spiritually really helped that person. Um, My own spiritual connection came pretty much directly after my first Ayahuasca experience and and was gradually expanded by Ayahuasca. But before that, I, I must say, I was really not connected. So how does one discover spiritual connection or create one without, let's say, use of plant um, medicines?
1: I think it's a really great question. I think a lot of research can be helpful of understanding that there, the separation between us and our spirituality is an illusion. That we are actually spiritual beings having a human experience and we've been conditioned to be so separate from spirituality or that you know, spirituality is religion, where for some people, it is religion. But for other people, it's just a way of life. Like, I am a spiritual being have in this human body, but I trust that my soul travels for many lifetimes. And I think the biggest way people can connect with their spirituality is connecting with their soul, with their desires, with what their beliefs are, and questioning their beliefs. Like, do I believe this because it's been programmed into me, or because this is what I actually believe? um and are there any signs in a person's life that are guiding them to believe that there's something greater than themselves we are the tree we are the leaves on the tree and the tree itself we are a drop in the ocean and the drop itself we are the fractal we are a fractal of the divine that's what the psychedelic plants teach taught me was that you know we're a fractal of our of spirit right of God and um, you know those are just my own personal beliefs but I think it's important as people um, develop their spirituality to under to develop it on their own it's a very personalized journey Um, you know some way that people might start is if they see 1111 on the clock or synchronicities or signs like even experiencing a small synchronicity that is magic that is spirit that is a connection with the universe and um, we are the entire universe experiencing itself within ourselves um, so, yeah, I just encourage people to do a lot of research on spirituality and on the universe, even simulation theory. And so people can develop their own belief systems on their own. But it's a very personal journey and you really do have to feel called. I don't know how I would necessarily like teach someone about spirituality unless they haven't, unless they don't have curiosity or interest or a personal experience of opening up spiritually themselves.
0: Mm hmm this is why it is kind of hard to start and this is why i personally like ayahuasca so much because um it can be a jump start to to that world and kind of wake 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 all of that up but it's obviously hard if you're addicted to antidepressants and you can't have ayahuasca and then microdosing is also questionable so it's a it's a tough position to be in but um what, what comes to mind is maybe maybe breathing exercises or something that can put you in that state and you're not necessarily taking any any substances or some form of a prayer if you believe in something. So, but yeah. Um, I tell love us, that uh, prayer,
1: meditation.
0: Yeah. Tell us uh, why are you excited about Amanita Muscaria?
1: I'm excited about Amanita because it's known as the anti anxiety mushroom. Currently, given the legal paradigm around psychedelics, Amanita is, is unregulated, at least within the US, and it is grown in nature all over the world. It's found under pine trees. And what they're finding is that it works on the GABA receptors of the body. So it is very relaxing and sedating. And helpful for nervousness and anxiety. And, um, you know, there's the whole paradigm and epidemic of dependency to anti anxiety medications coming off of benzodiazepines for me was the most difficult process that wreaked havoc on my life and pure hell. Um, so the fact that there's a substance that can help people heal their anxiety that's not addictive. To sing and so exciting so yeah i'm a big advocate for microdosing amanita muscaria mushroom
0: yeah for those who don't know amanita muscaria is the fly agaric it's the it's the mushroom with the red top and the white dots on it it's the mushroom it's the mushroom in the in the emo, emo, emojicons the sorry the smiley faces and i think it's um there is this story about how santa claus is actually that that mushroom do you know that story Mm-hmm. Can you tell it yeah. to, to the listeners? I
1: I've heard that it's been debunked, so I I don't know how true it is. But some of the the myth around it is that um, Santa Claus was a shaman of the uh, Amanita muscaria mushroom, and it was going through a prohibition. So they had the the Amanita down the chimney. And um, in order to be able to get the Amanita in the house and Amanita are tra- traditionally grown under pine trees. So it's like the presence underneath the pine tree. And so if you eat raw Amanita muscaria mushroom, it creates something called hypotanic acid, which is important to not eat large amounts of that because it can create really uncomfortable sensations in the body. So it needs you need to take the raw mushroom and take it through a heating process and decarboxylate it into muscamol. And something that can do that is if you drink your urine or a lot of the reindeer um, would eat the Amanita muscaria and then they would drink the urine from the reindeer because it would go through the, that heating process and that decarboxylation process. Once the Amanita muscaria goes through that decarboxylation process, it creates a psychedelic effect. So that's why there's, you know, the flying reindeer and um, yeah, it creates the, the visions. Um so yeah, I don't know how true that story is. Again, I've heard it's been completely debunked, but that is one iteration of the story that I'm familiar with.
0: The coincidences are many and very, very suspicious. Um, exactly. So I do like to believe some of those stories, uh, but uh, yeah, it's good to question them. Uh, it's it's interesting how traditionally, so amarita muscara grows in, in North America. It grows in. In Europe, it grows all over Siberia, basically almost everywhere. Even here in Colombia, I've seen, I've seen it in, um, in the forest. So uh, it's, it's interesting to see that right now, uh, I think uh, you and me as well, we work with the indigenous traditions of South America uh, and work with ayahuasca and, and other plants that they have preserved. But uh, unfortunately, we lost our own psychedelic tradition. But still, somewhere in Siberia, for example there are still shamans that that work with uh, with mushrooms because that's what they have available and in different countries there's many more psychedelics and many more of them to discover but I, I believe in the past every culture had a psychedelic as this tool of connection and we lost ours so we had to kind of adopt what indigenous people people used to have and, and i'm so i'm so grateful to to them for preserving that tradition because it's it's a, it's a great one and it's an ancient one and they they don't only have the the compound itself because i mean you can still find the mushroom but what about everything else that comes to with it you know the the songs and the chants and um spiritual practices it's it's uh, I, I think we're we're living in a very great time where all of that is available and uh, yes there are also great challenges You know like in talking about addiction like fentanyl crisis and mental health crisis and all this you know they say close to 30 percent of americans are on antidepressants it's it's crazy but at the same time we also get tools to work with like like ayahuasca so i don't know where i'm going with that but can you maybe talk a little bit about from your experience about uh, mental health crisis addiction crisis what's going on with fentanyl could could plant medicines be helpful with that or is it just too strong
1: i think you said it beautifully that we're going through a crisis right now i had no idea it was 30 percent of americans but i believe it i mean there's millions of americans and millions of people around the world that are dependent on pharmaceutical drugs and we have been conditioned To believe that that's not addiction that addiction is heroin or fentanyl which that is addiction right but so is taking something every single day that you're dependent on that you can't get off of (laughs) that's addiction as well um you know we're even seeing phone addiction right like people are addicted to their phones they're addicted to social media they're addicted to the internet it's a paradigm of self-escapism and not being able to process emotions. For me, addiction saved my life. It really did. I probably would have taken my life had I not had addiction. Addiction helped me soothe myself. It helped me find God, really, at the beginning of my addiction. It it created a, it was like an abusive boyfriend. Um, You know, I felt love from addiction. I felt like it was solving my problems. It was keeping me company. It was keeping me safe. It was keeping me held. And ultimately, it became a very abusive relationship that I Hated and I wanted to get out of. Um, so I think that there's a lot of people that are suffering in relationship with substances, thought patterns, behaviors that are helping them in some way, but are also really abusive and hurting them. And it's, you know, up to a person to understand, you know, what is that? What's happening? And fentanyl is definitely, you know, there's a huge epidemic of fentanyl addiction. I think that the silent epidemic is with these psychiatric drugs, like no one is talking about how addictive they are and how difficult they are to come off of, Um, especially these benzodiazepines, people are getting super hooked, benzodiazepines like Xanax and Valium, People are on them for decades when really they're only supposed to be prescribed for four to six months at max. They're supposed to be rescue medications, not long-term medications. And they cause some serious problems coming off of them. And no one's really talking about that. And so that's a big part of my mission is to educate people about how you know addictive that these substances are And um, that people don't have to be on them for the rest of their lives, you know, that there is life beyond dependency to a lot of these medications. But it's so important that people have support as they're coming off of them and and do it safely, because there's ways that you can harm yourself um, if you don't do don't do it safely.
0: I think those are beautiful words, and I think uh, it's a great uh, also way to finish the episode so um danielle where can uh, people find more about you
1: so people can find me through instagram um, my instagram is connect with d also psychedelic society sf you can also find us on our website psychedelicrecovery.org recovery.org psychedelic society sf.org I'm going to, I'm working on my own personal website right now, which is daniellenova.com. I do one-on-one guidance for people that are wanting to come off of medications or break out of addiction. Um, You know, I'm really a big advocate and support for people to take them through this process of healing. I also help people with microdosing and people that are just wanting to learn how to microdose to transform and grow personally. I'm also developing a training, a microdosing facilitator training uh, that teaches people how to become facilitators of microdosing experiences. And I'm working with Dr. Jim Fadiman and Adam at Flow State Micro on a, a new project and program. And that's going to be launching in a couple months. So inviting people that are wanting to be trained in this um, in microdosing to, to join the program. And, um, I'm also working on a couple other projects through the psychedelic society that I'm feeling really excited about and people can find us on our website.
0: Thank you, Danielle. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think it's beautiful how you not only overcame your own struggles, but also then went ahead and started helping others. Um, it was, it was really great. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your community. The last thing I'll say is we have a lot of integration groups. Psychedelic Recovery is our program. We offer nine groups a month where people can come and Process their psychedelic experiences, especially around addiction recovery, and just welcoming people to these groups. The Psychedelic Society has 15 support groups in total a month, all online integration circles where people can come and process their experiences. And we offer a variety of classes to teach people how to use psychedelics safely and intentionally, and want people to, you know, learn how to use these substances to transform. And uh, thank you, Sam, so much for your work with the medicine. I feel your heart behind it, your care behind it, really appreciate everything that you're doing with this podcast and grateful to share here today.
0: Thank you, Danielle. Um, Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like our podcast and uh, would like to support us and the psychedelic renaissance at large, uh, please follow us and leave a like, whatever you're listening to this episode. As always with you, the host Sam Believe and our guest today was Daniel Nova. None of the information shared in this episode is medical advice and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Try, try, try,